Welcome to Running a Dream, the podcast presented by Luzire Board and co-host Dario Randall. This week's episode of Running a Dream, we are featuring a real good friend of mine, world record holder, one of the um, top runners in the United States of America. He, he used to own in the 80s, back in the 80s. His name is Doug Curtis. You all sit back, relax, enjoy your ride. If you're listening to me, if you're in your vehicle, if you're running and listening to this podcast, you're going to really enjoy it. It's one of my mentors and friends, Doug Curtis. Show him how it's done, Doug. Hello, this is Lucire Boyd, your host from Running the Dream, the podcast. And today I have a special guest. I have Doug Curtis, one of my good friends from my running club, also world record holder for the most consecutive marathons, one under two hours and 20 minutes. I think he just told me somebody just took that record from you. They did. Oh. And in fact, the guy just won the Boston Marathon. Wow. That's... Yuki. So everybody's going to know Yuki. Yeah. Yuki. Yuki's phenomenal. And now he has, I had 76 sub 220s. He's got 79 now. And he's going to, he's going to keep going. He's young too. So Ooh, he'll have, he'll he's probably 30, have more what? than 100. What'd you say? He's about 33? 30, I think he's 33. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so tell me, Doug, tell me about your run life, how you got started in running. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I actually won the 600-yard dash in fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. You know, but in middle school, nobody encouraged me to run, so I was playing other sports. Okay. You know, I played, you know, JV football and baseball. Oh, you played football? I, a little bit. Just one year. Interesting. You know? And then high school, I was pl- trying, to, trying out for all kinds of sports, but didn't make the teams. You know, in my junior year, actually my sophomore year, um, we had a 10-minute run in gym class, and the assistant coach said, oh, you know, I beat everybody, and the coach, oh, you should be out for the track team. But they had just started practice, and their first meet was a week away, so the football coach, who was the track coach, said, well, come back out next year. Next year? Yeah, next year. So I missed the whole year, oh my whole goodness. season. Just for one week of missing yeah, practice? Yeah, he said, come out. So, and then my first year, so my junior year, I ran cross country and made it to the state meet. Okay. And I was the first guy from my high school to make it to a state meet. Wow. You know, and then the following year, I, I finished, I was all state. What high school did you go Livonia, to? Stevenson. Stevenson, okay. Yeah, so... So here, where I live now, I mean, my I grew up two miles from here. My brother and sister went to Churchill. Okay. Um, but they were just finishing building it then, and my parent, our parents, everybody in the neighborhood where I lived, didn't want us transferring our senior year. No doubt. So, no so doubt. So we stayed. We stayed at Stevenson. Okay. Uh, but you know, I just you know, I was decent runner in high school, and then college I started out at Michigan State, and we were Big Ten champs, indoor, outdoor track, and cross country. Wow! The two year two years I ran, but I was just I wasn't one of the better runners. You serious? Yeah, my first college race I finished last. Are you yeah, serious? Yeah, I finished last, my first race. Who would think? I know. That is I interesting. Just, but I, and I didn't know, you know, I knew I was a decent runner, but I didn't know I had real talent. Okay. Not until I was 27. When did it hit you that, you know, man, I'm good at this thing? Yeah, well, my first marathon was Boston, actually. 
my wow. first marathon because I my friends had just fake a time they'll never know, you know. Oh snap! <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I know you can't get away with that in no, these days. Not anymore. Not anymore. Back then, it wasn't a big field anyway. I think there was like fifteen hundred runners, and it wasn't organized like it is now. Okay. I mean, they didn't have regular water stations. Didn't have mile markers everywhere. Wow. I mean, they even had you make a. They had you do a physical before the race. Seriously. Seriously. And I wasn't prepared. I spent 10 minutes in a drugstore. About what year was that? It was 1974. 74. Yeah. So. Interesting. So I spent 10 minutes in a drugstore because I had blisters so bad I was running with, with my shoes in my hand. Oh my goodness. You know? <laughs> running yeah. with your shoes? You were running barefoot? I was running with socks. That was, I had socks <laughs> and that was it. And that's at mile 10. So I got 16 to go. I'm like, how am I going to finish? I ran in a drugstore and the druggist helped me out. And I took care of my blisters and taped my feet up, put some Dr. Scholl pads in my shoes. And then I ended up finishing right in front of the first woman. Are you serious? I, yeah, I ran a 247 and I was right in front of the first woman. A 247 and you stopped at the drugstore? And drug I stopped store. for 10 minutes, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Goodness. So, so that's, 90, that's 74, so not until 1980 did I discover I had real talent. Because a friend of mine at work said, no, you could qualify for Olympic trials. You know, because I was running marathons off and on. I was playing other sports, too. I was playing softball, playing softball. I was doing all this other stuff, not knowing wow. that I had talent, right? And so finally this kid said, let's go, let's go pick a really fast course so you can qualify for Olympic trials, which I did. Okay. And, and I got lucky. The race I ran had a tailwind the whole way, you know, and I ended up running a 214. No, and even though I knew it was a tailwind, it gave me the confidence. After that, I realized, oh, okay, maybe I do have the the ability to run under two twenty. Okay. So, and then I just started making connections and got sponsors and people to help me travel, and that just opened a lot of doors. Man, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's you know, amazing. And then, as you saw, I just you know four years four years ago, I ran you know my two hundred sub three hour, you know. Man. So. Two hundred sub three hours. Yeah. That, what, what what we're saying, all of you that's listening, he ran his two hundredth marathon at a sub three. Yeah. Goodness yeah. gracious, yeah. that's interesting. And that you know, and I'm in my sixties doing that. You did that in, fact, in your 60s. in fact, Boston. You know, going back to Boston, my really, you know, it's interesting. We always say we talk about PRs or best times, right, you know, but. Right. I looked at it more as best performances. Okay. The, my best time is 2.13 at Mardi Gras, New Orleans. But I don't consider that my best performance. Okay. You know, my best performance was actually when I was 42 years old. And I ran a 2.15 at Boston when wow. I was 42. 42. And I won the Masters of Vision that year. Man. You know? that but, was... And then my best year, I was 37. And I ran 12 sub-220s when I was 37 years old. 12 of them. Yeah, a lot of those were in the eighties, right? Yeah. When you ran the um, sub two, yeah. So most of my sub two twenties were all in the eighties. Most of them were in the eighties. A lot of the free press. My yeah. brother Ethan said he was always seeing you yeah. go through yeah. Yeah. back in the middle eighties. Yeah. Well, in the middle eighties, it was going up and down Michigan Avenue, so right. it was an out and back, out and back. Okay. Yeah, which was somewhat. I mean, it's 
kind of a mixed thing where, you know, people would cheer for me, which is great, but I'm focused, you know, and I can't, every once in a while you can kind of look at, ah, you know, if somebody would be able to, most of them I, I couldn't pay attention. And and then at the same time, I'd feel bad because I'd be at mile 17 and they're only at 11, you know, I'm like six miles ahead of them. You know, and they're like, look at this guy, he's so far ahead of us, you know, so you kind of feel bad too. You know? <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Goodness gracious. So, but from, from, as you know, I mean, even though I had this big success as a runner, I, I felt like I could do a lot more. Okay. You know? So I've been race directing since 1983. I put on a race called the Roadrunner Classic in Livonia and then Northville. Okay. And then just, kind of, I was on this committee helping the Free Press Marathon and I finally went in the office. They weren't really paying attention to me. Right. And, and here I had traveled all over the world. So I'd seen what could be done with a, with a marathon. You had experience. So I had a lot of experience. And the group that was handling the marathon just really didn't care about it that much. Oh, my god. They goodness. were focused on the Grand Prix. And this was just kind of a summer job while they were working on the Grand Prix. Okay. So anyway, I gave them less ideas. They didn't, they didn't do anything with it. So finally I went into the free press and I said, hey, you know what? If you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to move on. And... They said, well, we got a better idea. Why don't you take it over? Wow. And I'm like, really? And so I said, well, I got to check with Ford Motor Company. And I talked to my bosses at Ford, and they said, yeah, absolutely. We'll give you the flexibility to work on the marathon. So I would work really late. I mean, sometimes I wouldn't leave the office till midnight. But I completely changed the marathon. You know, I, I worked for six months to get the bridge. So I got the Ambassador Bridge. Man, and they, that was amazing to get two countries to yeah, agree to that. I know. Well, we were already bussing everybody over to Canada. Right. So, but that I knew to grow the race, there's no way we could bus everybody over there. Yeah, not 20,000 people. And the bridge people said, well, we're working on the bridge. I'm like, you're always working on the bridge. You start at one end, and when you get to the other, you start all over again. <laughs> but I got the, the, the president of the Detroit Tigers and then the publisher of the Free Press to sit down with the Ambassador Bridge. And once they... I kind of got the big guns in. They said, yeah, they would do it. And and then it was a huge PR wow. plus for them. Awesome. You know, and of course today, I mean, we they wouldn't have 25,000 people without that bridge. No doubt. So, and it's just a really positive thing for the whole event. It's the only race that Detroit Free Press Marathon is the only race where uh, as far as I know that where you can start in the United States go to another country and come, and come back. back yeah that's true that yeah, is, as that's, far as i know that's, that's true that's amazing yeah about that. so it's pretty cool it's great to see what so i stayed with the race for almost 10 years okay and then i got too busy at ford motor and i just couldn't yeah it i knew it needed a full-time director and i just couldn't quit my job to do that so i stepped down as director and stayed on for seven more years as the operations director okay you know but and then i finally I got too busy with the turkey trot, you know, and and the Corktown I never intended to do, but Corktown just kind of happened. Fell in your lap, you know, right? It kind of fell in my lap, and I said, all right, I'll take it over, and then I was looking for another director and couldn't really find anybody that really wanted to do it, and then I built it into a, a monster, you know, Man. You know, where now we have almost six, 7,000, and turkey trot, the same thing. 
you know, I finally this year I the finally, turkey trot is huge. It, I know. So when I took it over, it was at four thousand. Okay. You know, wow. and last year it had seventeen thousand. Seventeen thousand people 000. running a five k or a ten k. I know. Amazing. But but both of the what's fun about it, and what I love about both those events, that it's parade like. Right. You know, I, from day one I said, if you want to grow this race, you got to make it feel and look like it's part of the parade. You know, from costuming to inflatables and paper shaped big heads, all that kind of stuff, and that's what's paid off right. you know and you're running in front of a parade especially turkey trot i mean there's no other race in the whole region that runs into runs in front of hundreds of thousands of people so and the cool thing is people stick around and watch our parade which is amazing i mean we have one of the best parades in the country yes we do. some people don't realize that but we're in the top five of the best parades in the country man that's top amazing five. and you're talking macy's and rose bowl you right. know and, there's another one in Philadelphia that's a major parade. So, I mean, we, and, you know, and I, it's fun for me. We're having an office at the parade studio and watching them make the floats. It's just amazing. Wow. But again, so part, tying those two together, that's what's really built up the turkey, t- turkey trot. The turkey so, trot. You know, and then, you know, finding great sponsors like Strategic Staffing Solutions, you know. Absolutely. Um, their president has just been so helpful to the parade and the race. You know, and to put on an event where you have, and you've seen it, all the stuff that goes on, oh, you man. know, you can't just do it with runner's funds. You've got to have support, and we've been really fortunate to have great people to help us yeah, I'm, to make it successful. I'm, I'm blessed at the court town race to stand at the finish line with you and yeah, hold the banner yeah, for I the know. first Isn't that event. Fun? Oh, every year I, I look forward to doing that. Yeah. See, and that's part of it too. I mean, you see, I've, I've used our club, the Downtown Runners and Walkers, and right. other organizations as captains you know so i got people that come every year they know what to do exactly don't have to retrain them you know and i have all these amazing and you know to be successful at anything you can't do it by yourself you can't you know so you need to enlist other people to help you and i've got all these amazing Man. people there we got a you know, great team our running club they're so great as far as volunteering supporting events you know and so so I just, I, you know, again, I feel very fortunate. I've got a lot of people like that around yeah. around me. It's awesome, awesome. I remember when I first met you back in um, 2011. And years, I've just been watching you every time, because we run every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, I start off sometimes in the front, and I just wait for you. I say, okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for them little legs to come <laughs> past me with that little that that little um cadence you got. And I see you here it come. That little cadence come past me. I said, All right, now go Doug Curtis, he doing his thing. <laughs> Yeah. It takes me a while to warm up, especially as the older I get, too. You know, and, and you've seen the transition, too. I mean, when I first started running with the club, right. you know, when you were running with the club, I would be out front you right. know, with no most doubt. of the guys. No now, and then as I got older and kind of retired from competing, right. you know, then I, I was lucky to maybe stay with the girls, you know. Right, you know, right. And, and, then and the girls like, are fast. Wait a minute. Fa- well, there was, then there was a point, actually, where the women were the fastest runners on the club. <laughs> I know. You know. And some of them still are. And and then you know then it was like oh whoever I end up running with you know and I'd have a great including your brother you know right I mean, I just, right you know I'd hang on to them for a few minutes have a nice little conversation and I don't care how fast I run it doesn't right. matter you know or somebody new and you know you want to make sure they feel comfortable and you want them to come back absolutely you know so you just enjoy the social part of it man so I re- I remember because what I what I like is when you was telling me about. When you go to work, you would do seven miles 
at work and then you would do seven miles either in the yeah, morning in the or in the evening. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's how you would get your 14 miles in uh-huh. by double dipping. Yeah. I thought that was real cool being able to do that. I'm a big proponent of that. People want to do all these, if they train for a marathon, they think they've got to run 20 to 25 mile long runs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, I think you're much bigger success if you break up a lot of your workouts. Uh, so I'm a real proponent of what I call doubles. So running two workouts a day, you know, if you can or wherever you can. You said you just know? bank them, right? Just bank them out. So it's just put, especially a marathon, it's an endurance event. You know, it's not about speed. It's about maintaining your pace, you know. So you don't want to slow up at the end. But if you're used to coming back and running tired, that's part of like the Hansons learned is how to run tired. You know, you run that seven miles and you come back to the second workout and you've worked all day and you're kind of tired. But you push through, you know, you're like, all right, I, look at that. So when you hit 20 miles on a marathon, okay, I remember all those workouts where I was tired and I just kept going and pushing myself. <laughs> wow. So that's what pays off. And I've trained three people who made Olympic trials. I trained a doctor too in his 60s, ran his PR when he oh, was in his 60s. Wow. And all of them were successful when they started running doubles. Every single one of them. They didn't start really improving their time so they started running double workouts. Double workouts. And it's not about how fast you go. It's just... Put, and even if you can squeeze in three miles somewhere, you know, during the day and add to your mileage, I think pays off. Okay, that's going to be my new thing. Yeah. And then it's consistency. Okay. You know, it, it, you have to have a routine. Right. You know, you have to have a routine and then consistency. So if, again, by doing doubles, I think less chance for injury. So you have less downtime. So if you maintain, if you can maintain a, whatever mile it is you can do week after week after week, it's just, you're going to, it's going to pay off for you. Absolutely. So, but doubles for me was always the key. Double for your trouble. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Man. Especially for a marathon. Half marathon a little bit, but much more so the marathon. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I believe in staying. I'm always half marathon ready. I believe I can run a mar- yeah. a half marathon any day of the any week. Day, yeah. You can wake me up and say, Hey, Luke yeah. Sire, let's yeah. run a yeah. half marathon. Okay, let's go. Yeah. yeah. It's that it's that wall that I always want to be ready for, for the full. Well, how many days a week do you run? I run usually five days yeah, a week. So that's good, you know. I mean, and then you're running with people too. Like the yeah, down, that's the, the key. The and the down, uh, the uh, run Detroit runners on Saturday. So, so I have, and you know, that's easier too. Right. Now you can go out by yourself and run nine minute pace and you feel like, God, I'm working, I'm working so hard. You know, you can find somebody to run with and run eight minute pace, and oh, it runs over with. Yeah. Right, right. You know, it's just it's a big difference when you got somebody else to run with. My my trick that I do is that I've been doing lately is I try to show up within an hour to a half an hour early, get two or three miles in yeah. before the group. And then run with the group. So when I get through with the group, I'm already yeah, at nine, ten, yeah, seven, yeah, eight, nine yeah. miles, and yeah. it feels so much easier yeah, than yeah. trying to do that while the, yeah. when the group shows yeah, I see up. See, Doug Solis do that too. You know, a few. Well, Rob. Oh, too, he does of, it all the time. A bunch of those guys, they all need to warm up every which, time. Which I totally get. If I wasn't just running for fun, you know, out there, I'd do the same thing. Right, I'm, right. So you I, running for fun I'm now? Just running for fun now. So, how many uh, marathons you have now? So I think it was two hundred and five. Two hundred and five. Yeah, so out of the, you know, I, I, you know, and the five that I didn't break to three hours was because you know, like I ran the marathon at Madoc, 
you know, in France where you stop for wine along the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, you so run it for so fun. It's just for fun. I mean, oh, that's a object, good... Ma- and the object was to what, try to run as slow as you can. What mile was that? What mile do you get the wine at? Every mile. Every mile they got just a glass of wine? Every, just about every oh, mile. Lord, have mercy. And everybody's in costume, too. Oh, seriously? So all wearing costumes. Yeah, 7,000 people wearing costumes. Wow. You know? And then the other times were just because it was music because it was just really hot. Okay. You know, like I remember Boston one year was 80-something degrees. Grandma's <sighs> Marathon, same thing. You know, so that's where he's... I heard that Grandma's Marathon is real beautiful. It's one of my favorites. It really is. Yeah. It's kind of like a mini Boston, and it's it's the whole town's behind the event. Okay. So it's they call it small-time, big, you know, you know world-class event with small-time charm. Okay. You know, because every... Every shop, every restaurant, every hotel, you walk in and, oh, you're here for the marathon. You know, so almost everybody's in town. They're all part of the marathon that weekend. And they get 20-some thousand people up there. Wow. So it's, for a small town like Duluth, it's a big deal. I think they're going to get a lot more people there. They said that the second place winner woman, which is Sarah Sellers, her, her last race, I believe they said she won the grandma's race. And she did that uh, one, uh, and uh, then came, came and did Boston, but they weren't. She wasn't expecting to do like in the teens. Her ex- well, you saw the Americans that finished this year. I Man, think, they killed it. You know, because it, probably for a lot of them, they were used to training in bad weather. You know, where a lot of those elite women, they didn't train. That they, they didn't prepare themselves. When I saw Desi out there running, I was thinking about this past Saturday. I ran around um, um, Kensington, Kent Lake. And I was soaking wet, freezing. When I got to mile 13, it felt like my fingers was going to fall off. I was so cold. Yeah. And and for her to be up in Charlevoix, she lives up in Charlevoix, and she ran, was was training up there. So this was like, this winter has been really tough for training so, in Michigan. So I would think a lot of the runners this year have learned that, oh, hey, you know what, the weather's Lousy out, I'm going for a run. There you, you go. Know, because you learn how to run in the difficult conditions. That's it. You know, and you prepare yourself. What, you know, what do I need to do different? I mean, the reports, you know, you saw people had, a lot of people had hypothermia. People right. dehydrated. They're not used to that. People dehydrated because they weren't drinking enough water because they think, oh, it's raining, I'm already wet. But no, you still need to drink a lot of water. Still. You know, and yeah, you get chilled and you might have to stop pee or something. But, it's a method to this madness yeah, we do. You got to, there's certain so. things you got to continue to do. I don't care what the weather is, especially yeah. when it comes to hydration. Yeah. I always, I always well, say even, hydration. Even the socks, your shoes you wear. I was reading a lot of stories on Facebook about people were bringing this second pair of shoes with them. You know, they were, oh. so they were, their shoes were so soaked, you know, before the start that they were changing their shoes. Wow. Before they started the race. Now that's interesting. Yeah. I've never, I never thought of that. Yeah. Bring some old shoes. Yeah. And so then they put. Slashing around. Home. Well, because <laughs> a lot of them would have to wait, wait in line. Oh, maybe an, half hour. Hour, an hour to get on the bus. Exactly. At the finish to go to the start. Oh, so they're it was miserable. Around, so they're standing around in the rain. Well, yeah, their shoes were soaked. So they were smart enough to know that. All right, I'll change shoes when I get to the start. You know what? That's a that's a nugget right there. You yeah. got to change your yeah. your misery yeah. into mastery. That's like that's the one advantage like running in your hometown marathon that you have somebody stationed on the course with all a second set of equipment. Right. So if something's not going right, you have a ch- an opportunity. The to bikers do that all the time with extra wheels. They do that with extra wheels for the bikers. Yeah. 
right. <laughs> when they bike so, break right. down. Especially like I say, a hometown or if you have if you're lucky enough to have a support crew. Right. Yeah, yeah. You do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you get a lot of support. You know, the for for people around here, the free press it'd be easier race to have that kind mm-hmm. of support. Yeah. Meet yeah. me at mile fifteen. Yeah. Give me some new shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, years like in the eighties when I was running, I my my grandmother was from West Detroit, okay, off of near Lanyo and Michigan Avenue, right, in that area. And usually, my parents were there or somebody. And anyway, the thing back then was defizzed Coke, like Frank Shorter who oh, the shake the. So they defizzed the Coke, but <laughs> oh, you get that goodness. sugar to right. you know, boost you up right in the middle of the race. You know, so we used to do that before <laughs> before Gatorade came around. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Ethan, my brother, was saying that he used to take um, Pedialyte. They used to raid the shelves of Pedialyte when they go to races yeah. before Gator Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know they got things like the goo packets. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Right now you got everything. Yeah. Back, I don't know, my early days, I just water was just good enough for me. You know, but you're running, you're only running for two hours and you're done. Right. right? Yeah. So you was only running for two hours. I, I, I was right. <laughs> But as you start to get slower and you start running three hours. Four hours. Four hours, that changes everything. No doubt. You know? No so, doubt. You, you know. That's where that carb load is coming from. Yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. I, people ask me about diet, though. I wasn't, I don't know. I just ate all kinds of different food. I wasn't in the Nothing particular, diet. huh? Nothing particular. I just figured if I varied my diet enough, I'd be fine. And, you know, and when you're running 95 miles a week, you can eat anything and not... <laughs> You just burning weight. some calories. You're burning 90, calories you're not you was weight. running ninety five miles a week for fifteen years. Fifteen solid years, I averaged ninety five miles a week. Goodness gracious! Yeah. So that's how you become one of the best in the world. You know, you're right? No doubt. Very very consistent. How how much did you weigh? About one forty? One thirty? One thirty? One thirty or less? Okay. Okay. Because yeah. yeah. I was listening, to Desi, she weighed ninety seven yeah. pounds. At and that makes sense because you think about. All the miles that she's putting in, you, if you're heavy, you can't take that pounding. Exactly. Your body can't. You know, even for me in my 60s now, I can, I mean, I'm built to do this, but there'll be days like, oh man, my, you know, I feel beat up, so I'll hop on a bike. Right. You know, and take a day off. And I, I have no problem taking days off. You know, some people want their streaks of running 500 <laughs> days in a row or whatever, but I was never one of those kind of guys. Even during all those 95 mile weeks, I would still... Probably at least once or twice a month, I'd have a day off. Wow! You know? And it was to me, it was better to take the day off. Than Absolutely, so you can through. keep going. You know, because some days, you know, whatever family responsibilities, work, whatever, you, you got to take some time off to recoup. You know, even they were talking about Desi taking time off when she felt you like know? she didn't feel like she didn't run. I know because I like that because beating up your body, you're just making it worse, not better. Exactly, you, know? you need that recovery. You need recovery time, and sometimes your body just tells you. You just, you know, the best runners in the world, they're very focused during at least during a race. Right, they're very focused. You're gonna, your mind's gonna wander a bit, but they get back to it. They stay in in the, what, and then they assess. They know what they can do. You know that all right. I know I'm capable of doing this. You you start going beyond what you're capable of doing. Usually, you don't do very well. <laughs> yeah, and Boston is especially one where them heels in Boston the best, look kind of interesting. And they are tough the second half, but the smart runners run negative splits even, and they're running faster over that tougher part of the course because they hold back, hold back, hold back. Wait for Again, it. 
You gotta be patient. A marathon is not a sprint. It's not a ten k. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. You got it's so the object. The key is to, you know, you don't want to slow up. You want to slow up less late in the race. So you just save yourself for that for that last you know six or eight miles. So you're still somewhat fresh, and most people have a hard time doing that. Yes, it's hard when you got so much energy in you. Yeah, and they don't dress very well either. I see that over and over again too. Where People are way overdressed. You know, your body temperature goes up a hundred and some degrees after a couple miles. Right. You know, and they've got a jacket. I mean, in Boston, of course, Monday was a different story. Was, that was a rare. That was, whole, that was that so was rare. rare but most of the time, you know, maybe you have a clothing you can throw off. In fact, the girls did too. They had the guys as well, but they had. They had a jacket on, so they had two numbers. So they had a number that they right. wanted to take it off. I saw the guy, he was trying to, the he African to, guy kept trying, he was, trying he was stuck. Off, he he needed it. a knife to cut yeah. that jacket off. Yeah, so <laughs> didn't practice wearing the jacket. But, yeah. Uh, that was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very. I was thinking, um, when, I, when I run the marathon, I, I got to get used my, to it myself. Because at the beginning, I have a certain pace. But I think I should slow it down even a little bit more. Yeah. Just to keep my legs a little longer, you know. Yeah. When I get to mile 22, usually I hit that wall about mile 22 is when it start hitting me. Yeah. And I've been, when I did this Marquette 50K, mile 17, I hit the wall. And I was nervous about completing it. When I got to the aid station, that's when I say I got introduced to heat, which is a um, just like a mixture of um, potassium, magnesium, some salt, but it subsided all of my um, lactic acid in my legs. Uh, uh-huh. That that I was so surprised when I got to mile twenty eight. I was I had made them fill my backpack up with the heat, and I was uh-huh. drinking this heat. And I felt like I could do 15 more miles near the end of the race. I was like, man, my leg's feeling wonderful. But it's because it's the first time I was able to um, get rid of that lactic acid in my leg. Well, Boston's one where, you know, you get through. The the hard part isn't getting up through up. It's getting down. After you get up the hills, then coming down the hills where your thighs just start to really scream at you. And you kind of have to go through that. I lost the master's division one year because my thighs started you know, getting hard on you. Yeah, I made a couple of mistakes in the race, but one of them was that, and I ended up only losing by like a hundred yards. Oh my you know, goodness! From like second, That's not long. far at all in no, a marathon. No, so but but I kind of let him go going down that hill, and I should have stayed stayed with him. But you should have just. It was painful, man. That's life. That's yeah, life. but um, you know when we talk about diet too, and people ask me. Well, I got, like, the year where I ran all these sub-220s, I got drug tested six times. <laughs> and, and they would, which is hard to pee after a race, you know, you're trying to hydrate. Um, but they would always ask me, they'd go through a list, and one of the questions they'd always ask me is, do I take vitamins? And I said, yeah, I take vitamin M. And they like, what's vitamin M? I said, M&M's. I eat M&M's <laughs> all the time. And I still eat M&M's. That's funny. That's what the free press marathon, they're always giving you an M&M station. I know. The Northville Roadrunners. The yeah, was that, that, oh, that's who yeah, does that. Northville Roadrunners. Yeah, Northville Roadrunners. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, as you get into your 60s, I just, you know, there's certain vitamins you want to take to just because, you know, 
if you if you're smart enough to see a doctor every year just to test to make sure where your body is right. usually most people in their 60s 70s have to take something you know to, right. you know because of just because of age but my 20s 30s I never had to take anything and you was just yeah. running on life yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remind well, me of my high school days when I was in high school and I look back we were like the where's the fastest in this in the city of Detroit on a two-mile relay team and we were second fastest in the state we came in second in the state but we were we were eating bologna sandwiches my coach literally was bringing bologna sandwiches with the mayo white bread bologna and a little cheese and we were just happy to make these sandwiches and we lived off of bologna sandwiches in detroit back in those days And I was thinking, I said, if we could have had kale salads or something, something else, yeah, yeah. it might would have gave us a little yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to add to it, you know, and obviously being successful, you got to work hard. Absolutely. Okay? But another key is having the right, as you do, you know, having the right attitude. You know, when you're upbeat and you're positive and you're doing it because it's just fun to do. So many people get caught up in, you know, oh, man, they're not happy. Right. You know, that, oh, I didn't hit the time I want to hit or whatever. They always got some excuse. And or, that makes them quit. I know. Where I just always want to cross the finish line and say, okay, I did the best I could. You know, you know, and if you make mistakes, you just think about it and you move on. Or And, uh-huh. and if somebody beats you that you want to be like oh you shake their hand and so the race is over you right. know, might as well be a gentleman and say hey great race you, you know, exactly you, you were better than me that day right you know right. But, you know what you told me that one time and i and i um hold on to that you told me that we were at one of the bars at, the, at our running club and you you said you said lucire enjoy the race you said once you stop in just enjoying the race you're gonna yeah, quit yeah you know, don't just all, get caught I mean, up in all that. I mean, I can tell you again because we're Boston Week. I, so many people didn't couldn't run fast times, but they enjoyed the experience. Exactly. Even though it's typical conditions, the, the crowds for one are in Boston are phenomenal, and I know they were impressed that even despite the weather, everybody was out showing up. They knew that the runners needed support, so they were out there. That's so awesome. So it still ended up a great experience for them because of that. You know, and so that's. If I had one thing to tell runners is you do it because you enjoy doing it. You're out there because it's a fun thing to do, not because oh I'm, you know, unless because I'm trying to lose weight or you know or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know, you want to just. I mean, it's great that you just want to be healthy. I mean, I, that's why I do it now. Right. You know, I just want to be a healthy human being and exercising every day. You know, is something that is part of my routine. But I do this, you know, and same as a race director, right? It's just a joy for me. It's fun, you know, and I surround myself with all these people who are like that too. And you see it. Most of the runners, in general, most runners are have a pretty positive attitude. Yeah, most of them. About most of them do. So you get one every now and then that you say, "Whoa!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> they upset because they didn't yeah. they didn't win or they didn't got a time or they they got yeah. a certain attitude and you're yeah, like, "Why they got such an attitude?" But You're I think to have, but to have a long career, and a, long, a lifetime, a life, I, that's, and that's because, what I call it. The, because you're having fun. I call it say, a like, life. Yeah, well, but you say, I mean, you know, running the dream, you know, running yeah, the dream. because we're doing something we love to do. Exactly, yeah. and by us running the dream, it's I've met so many people. You know, most of my friends that I've met over the last ten years have been runners. And 
they have been motivational people. Keep me going, you know, inspiration. And, you know, to keep me going. People like you, I, I see you run. I see all the older guys that are leaders in our um, run club. And I say, man, these guys been running for years, man. I got, ain't no way I can stop running. If they doing it, these 60 cents, she dug solely, you know, out here hitting it hard. I'm like, man, I got to stay out here. I don't care. You know, this is going down like four flat tires. I'm going to be doing this till, the, till I go to the grave, you know. No matter what my pace is, if I'm on a 17-minute pace, I'm going to still keep well, it moving. you didn't know Jim Ramsey, but uh, but Jim was a Detroiter. Okay. Um, and just amazing human being. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. Anyway, he you know grew up in Detroit, lived in Detroit. All his kids, you know, were end up really successful kids. But Jim had a heart attack when he was 68, and he had never run before that. Right. He was kind of active, but didn't really run. Okay. And his doctor said, all right, you know, they did a bypass you know, on him, and they said, all right, you need to start walking. So we started walking, you know, spent six months walking. He got bored walking, started running. So by 70, he started thinking about running marathons. Wow. And he, he's, he passed away, but he ran his last marathon when he was 91. Wow, 91 years old, yeah, running a marathon. Marathons in his late 70s, 80s, you know, he was like, you know, winning. A late age, bloomer. Winning huh? his age group, you know, and, you know, <laughs> and just having a blast. Man, you know? that's called running the dream. You just starting off in your 70s, in your 70s, 80s, running I marathons. I know. You know, so, that is amazing. Some people think, oh, I'm too old to do this. And, you know, they're, they're always complaining, oh, my knees, my knees, my knees. But. But I think running, especially walking, can help your knees, not hurt your knees. Right. You and know, there's so many different collagens and stuff to take to build your knees up. You know, mm -hmm. I I had my, um, I went, I was having knee problems. I went to a sports doctor um, and see what was the problem with my knee. And they were saying, oh, you got a little arthritis in your knees. You know, maybe you can stop running. Stop running? Yeah. No. Usually yeah. they say you. <laughs> Uh, movement helps arthritis. Right. So in general, movement helps arthritis, not hurts it. So I had to learn about yeah. what was causing the inflammation. I said, okay, well, let me take some stuff to get rid of the inflammation. Yeah. So I started yeah. taking different um, things like, well, I learned about sea moss, which is a real good thing you can take for inflammation. It's a lot of, and seaweed, I was talking to another lady um, called Alice Marr. She was telling me about you know, taking seaweed and stuff like that. So it's a lot of different yeah. things to build up your legs. And yeah, for me, it'd be like chocolate ice cream. But, no, look yeah. you. <laughs> dark chocolate. Dark, <laughs> I do like dark chocolate. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I love dark chocolate. I was just um, reading an article on um, dark chocolate helping you lose weight. Taking yeah. away some of your cravings by drinking. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's true too. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I know there's been a lot of reports lately about you know like people, all the people drink diet pop. That actually diet pop makes you want, makes you gain weight because you're, it's kind of encouraging the other calories to right. make up for drinking that. Oh, that's messed yeah. up. So everybody thinks, oh yeah, diet's gonna help me lose weight. No, it's yeah. making you. And, but you hear people say that. Give me, I want a large order of fries. Give me the Big Mac with some extra meat on it and a diet small Coke. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like that's gonna overcome. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, well, this is an awesome episode of um, running a dream. I'm so glad you 
um, was able to sit down with me and, and have this wonderful conversation, Doug. Yeah. I'm, I'm really um, glad you're a friend of mine, and we get to hang out a lot on yeah. Tuesdays. Yeah. At the, um, I try to, I'd like to get down more on Saturday. Okay, I'm going to come down this Saturday. Okay. Um, i got to hand out some flyers because I'm doing a talk in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where, where's that talk going to uh, be the at? the Michigan Humane Society, which is a beautiful facility out on 75 near Holbrook. Interesting. Just west of... Uh, what time is west that? Of Ham Jamming, 6 o'clock on Wednesday, May 2nd. May 2nd, 6 o'clock. All of you in my listening area, Doug... Curtis is going to be there talking. Yeah, I do a whole thing on motivation and courage. Uh, motivation and courage. So if you're available, come out to the Humane Society. Yeah. And that's on um, Chrysler Drive. Isn't Chrysler it? Drive, yeah. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Plenty of parking. It's, like I said, it's a beautiful facility. So, uh, Well, thank you. Right. Thank you, Lucere. This is another episode of Running the Dream, and I am your host, Lucire Boyd. And remember, God loves you, and I do too. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode of Running the Dream. I have a code for you all for the Prove It 5K, which is held in Milford, Michigan. And that's May the 12th. And that's capital R-U-N-N-I-N-G, capital T-H-E, capital D-R-E-A-M. Put that in for a referral for running the dream. And um, come join me for this 5K and we can have a good time running the dream. I'll talk to you guys later. Be blessed and prosperous.